Welcome to the Radical Departures podcast, your source for startup storytelling. We're your hosts, Abby and Chris. You'll hear informative discussions full of valuable expertise and actionable insight on the issues you face when launching and growing your startup. This is episode 31 of the Radical Departures podcast. This week, I had the privilege of having a fascinating conversation about ethical product development with two great guys, both experts in their field, Fabrice Desmazry, who's currently CPO of Tiga and is a former serial entrepreneur and founder of La Product Conference. Bruno Margarita is an agile coach and certified scrum trainer and also heads up a team at a major telecoms company here in Paris. You definitely don't want to miss this episode. We talked all about their experiences navigating the development of software and other products, what being ethical really means, how we define what is right, and much, much more. So without further ado, here's episode 31 with Fabrice de Masri and Bruno Margarita. We're in the studio for a conversation on ethical development, ethical product development. We're here with Fabrice de Masri and Bruno Margarita. Welcome, both of you. Okay. Hi. So if you would like to tell us a little bit about what it is you do. Okay. So um, I'm Bruno, Bruno Margarita. I'm a freelance agile coach on Twitter. I'm one of the few French certified Scrum Twitter by the Scrum Alliance. So I'm my job is to help uh, organizations, teams, and uh, individuals to develop better products and to find a good way to, to do it. The rest of the time, I, I work part-time for a major uh, French telecom company. Yeah, so I'm Fabrice Masri. I'm the chief product officer of a, a small company called Tiga, which is an expert in product management. I've been an entrepreneur for since the last 16 years before being a consultant myself. And I'm trying to help my clients to build a product, actually trying to transform code into business. So I'm a bit on the crossroads between design, code, and business itself. So what is ethical development? Ethical according to whom? That's a good question. That's one of the hardest questions, because sometimes when talking about ethical, talking about philosophy, problem of philosophy, that is purely intellectual. And subjective. Exactly. So you could have a lot of memorandums on that, even principles and values. And when you see what people are using, how people are using the values and principles of agility and all the things that are completely contrary to what are the values and principles of agility in a lot of companies, say, okay, if I'm talking about ethics, isn't it too far from what people really want? Do people want ethics or not? To me, it's a really main question. And uh, my opinion, software is everywhere in the world. Uh, software hits the world. So as um, software developers or project builders, we have a lot of responsibilities. With these responsibilities come a lot of questions about ethics. Do you have to accept everything? Do you have to do everything as a software developer or not? This is... I think why I'm here to, to give the software developer side of the question. I guess that a lot of designers have talked about it. You have some wonderful movements like time well spent in the US 
you have ethics for design in France. And a lot of people don't say, should we do something like that? Should we manipulate people? All the questions around Facebook, for example, and what they've done, it's just the tip of the iceberg. A lot of people say, I don't do like Facebook. But every day, as a product manager, product owner, developer, designer, you make choices. And sometimes when you talk to people and say, are you conscious that there could be consequences on people? In a way, it could pollute their digital environment. People say, yeah, but that, that's just my job. That's not who I am. Yeah, but that's intertwined. People say, I'm not that responsible. You know, that's my company. That's my boss. Uh, for the developers, it's sometimes even more difficult because, yeah, the product owners say that I need to do that. I'm the developer. I need to find a way to make it possible. But am I the guy who's supposed to say, okay, I understand why you want to do that. I understand that you have objectives. I understand that you have your own biases. But that's the right thing to do. And your responsibility as a developer is not to do the right product. It's supposed to be how to make the product right. So sometimes you have even a conflict or are you a human being or are you a developer or are you a product owner? And sometimes I guess people forget that every little thing that they do on a day-to-day basis has a consequence on real people. We are not metrics. You know, when talking, I was working at Deezer a few months ago. As a head of product there. And sometimes people say, yeah, my objective is to have 5% more daily active users. So what does that mean? But yeah, 5% more. Okay, 5%. That people will listen to more music. What does that mean for them? If they are just listening to music two hours a day, what would they listen to it more? Does that make sense in their life? Do you want to go into the toilets and want to listen to music? No. So... In a way, sometimes there's a discrepancy between our professional backgrounds, our understanding of things, our objectives, and what people will really do with the product that we create. And we are fully responsible of that. And I guess not a lot of people think about that. Just think. Amazing thing is that we saw that software is everywhere. The, the strange thing is that we don't have any code of ethic. Lawyers have a code of ethics. Doctors have a code of ethics. We definitely need some something like this in software development. I know that there is some code of ethics, but there is definitely not a sanction about it. You can do everything as a developer on with, without having sanction, I think, most of the time. So I think it's really a problem we have to address in our profession. I think people have different opinions about what is good or bad. I think, for example, what happened in China is a really good example. I don't know if you see on the news, but the, uh, now cops uh, have some facial recognition glasses in the airport. With that, they are able to recognize people and recognize dangerous people. But it's not the most important aspect of the problem. The most important aspect uh, is that they started to create a a kind of social ranking system to give weight to each person. Depending on your uh, behavior in society, you you will have some rules, uh, different rules. For example, if uh, you cross the street uh, with a white light, you will have a bad weight. Or if you if you smoke in somewhere with 
where it's forbidden, you will have a bad weight. And depending on, on this weight, you will have some weight or not, for example, to take the train or to, train the, to take the plane or to have access to some jobs or to have access to, to schools for your our children. And it seems that in China, people are finding that normal. Most of the population seems to, to find that normal. So I think if we do that in France, people will be in the street. But it seems that um, uh, the bad or the good thing are different. That's very Black Mirror. That. Yeah. A lot of people are now conscious of the danger of it. We've had Terminator with Skynet. And people are just saying, that's Skynet in bike, not Terminator. It's been made 30 years ago now. Now you have Cambridge Analytica, you have China. The problem is that these are scandals. The problem is with scandals, you know, it's that statistics. You just think that we, if you talk to someone at Deezer or anyone in startup now, no one will say in the future, maybe in 10 years, people say I was part of something like this because you don't feel involved. You know, that's the same thing with Google that uh, was helping the Pentagon with image recognition. And a lot of people in Google say we are Googlers. We don't want that. But that's Google. They are behemoth. Now, on your day-to-day basis, working on a software with your little job, with your little salary, getting back to your little apartment uh, in the evening, do you feel involved inside all the small choices that I'm making? All the objectives that I have every quarter or using the, the OK from Google saying, OK, am I responsible of a larger thing or not? Could I say, OK, not my job. I don't have the big picture, not my job. And that's sometimes one of the problems say, people say are against scandals, but they don't look at what they do every day. They don't say, and I, I know from having a lot of conversations with product managers in Paris, say, yeah, but you know, I have objectives for the venture capitalist, for my CEO, and I want to be part of that because that's cool, because now we have millions of users, but absolutely no one understands that. Then there could be consequences on the digital environment. It's, you know, a lot of people from my generation are conscious of the impact on the digital environment. But to them, that's just software that we're doing. It can't be that important. You cannot kill someone with software. No, that's not true, actually. But think they think they, they just can't. So you just erase it. Just erase, just disinstall your application, erase your account. So no consequences whatsoever. So what are some ways that we can start to make developers and, and other people in general aware of this? But I guess by linking metrics with people. You know, I had a conversation with uh, Mercy Victoria Grace, which is the former head of Kuros at Slack. And in my profession as a product manager, we're talking about metrics, of course, about Kuros, about personas, but no one seems to make a link between all of that. You know, say, okay, I create a perfect product with a perfect software, with great developers. Now I'm doing some growth hacking, you know, to have more virality, to have just better growth of my business. And then you have, you got to go to, to scale your business, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And at the beginning, you have innovators, now you have scalers and managers, and that's it. But no one seems to 
just make the link between, okay, what is the intention of your user? You know, it's just like in a crime, you just don't say you're guilty and say, what are the motives? But that's exactly the same thing in what we do. Why should people change their habits? What should they change the behavior? What should will they change their, their own environment to make it possible for you? It's all saying we're just so narcissistic, so, so egocentric of looking at your own metrics and your own little product as if it was completely unlinked with the rest of the world. We don't live in a lab. And sometimes we have debates around the attention of people saying, you have to make people pay attention. You don't say that in French. You know, when I say, say pay, actually. But I, in English, that's really interesting to say it's the only common currency that we have. Mm. And attention, why people should pay attention to you instead of the other, instead of their children or their friends or people in the, in the metro. We are responsible for trying to catch their attention, catch this currency. And we don't want to be responsible of it. We just want the, the impact and an impact on ourselves. So if you want to be more responsible, you need to think about what will be the consequence on someone which is supposed to be one of your users. It's not 5% of your basis. It's 5% of who, actually. Who will have to change their behavior so that you're happy? Is that a win-win situation or not? Just thinking about that before even trying to put something in your roadmap. What will be the consequences? The discovery that we're talking about, product discovery, product delivery. Product discovery is about trying to find opportunities. But you got to find opportunities for both sides, not only yours. But as simple as that. I think it's also a matter of education. Uh, you have to educate people. You have to educate people software developers and project builders uh, about the consequences of all of that. And I know a lot of people are starting to, to do that. I remember I was at a big conference a few years ago. I think it was DevOps. A lot of people were, were talking about ethics. I remember that one of the examples they gave uh, really marked me. I'm often this in my mind when I uh, develop projects. I thought about this example a few a few weeks ago when Uber uh, stops their automatic self-driving car program after a crash. So I don't remember the speaker who talked about that, but the story was uh, something like this. You, you are in a car, you are driving in a mountain road with a lot of curves. Your automatic pilot is on, and after a few kilometers in this wonderful road, After a course, you are suddenly in front of two cars. One is on the right side of the world and what one is in the other side of the world. The people in your side, the car is with a full family on the other side, which is in his right, is only with two persons aboard. It's up to your automatic system to make a decision at this moment. Do you have to stay in your five and kill a family or do you have to kill to innocent people, or maybe do you have to jump in the ravine to, to save the both of the life? And what is important is that the decision is not taken at this tragic moment, is taken in the headquarters office of the people who are designing the system. Maybe the algorithm could be worse of that. It could be 
maybe you will sa save the people with the best insurance, or maybe you could save the people with the best social grade if you are in China, for example. As a developer, we have to, to keep in mind that we have the right to say no to implement something which is not in correlation with our values. I remember that this example was really something we make a switch in my mind about how I have to feel and how I have to act as a developer. completely agree with you in the, the era of the algorithms when we don't control everything. It scares me not because of Skynet or, or Uber accidents, it's because now that without any algorithm, we don't take time to understand the consequences which means that we have a direct consequence by the choices that we make. When you take a company like Clustery, for example, I don't know if you know the company, but what they roughly do is they, they say in big companies you have opportunities, but it's really complicated for a human resource manager to find the right fits, even though they know that somewhere in NG or Total or Orange or whoever, they might be the perfect fit, but they don't know. They just don't know. And I had a conversation with the CPO, but I'd say, how do you prove to people that, for example, imagine that Bruno and I am in the same office, we have the same experience, but I receive a mail from you saying, okay, we found a position, you could be the perfect fit. You didn't know, but actually it could be. And Bruno is not chosen. And Bruno says, why am not? One makes a difference, actually. That's complicated to be fully transparent with an algorithm, even if the intention is good. You just can't control everything. And the justice, in, not, not even the ethics, but the justice in algorithm is really complicated to implement. When you have people at, at Facebook, they try to create automated segmentation to target people. And they found that they had an automatic segment, which was people that don't like Jews, because it made sense for the algorithm really made sense, just like you don't like soup, well, you could not like Jews. That's not ethical, but that's just logic. And of course they say, yes, these kind of things could happen. But with algorithms, now that algorithm could be considered as a black box by a lot of people, even without a black box, people don't invest money trying to, be, to have a sustainable growth. Sometimes because the, the exponential growth model that is pushed by the VCs to, today they have something like 18 months to get out of it, to have an exit strategy. People are just pushing startups in the Ravine, 99 startups in the Ravine, hoping that one, we just learn how to fly by miracle in a way. And they say, well, we, we, we're not responsible of that. Just because people want more money to be bigger and bigger and bigger, we're not responsible of it. Yes, you are. But the startups who want to raise money because they think that's the only model that is available are responsible for that. When you take a look at Basecamp, for example, they've had linear growth for 15 years and nobody says, I'd like to do a company just like Basecamp. No, they all want to do what? Slack, Zenly in France, even if they have great designers with lots of uh, uh, care on psychology. Well, exponential growth is not sustainable. It just can't be by design in a way. But I see absolutely no one trying to say, is that better to survive and to be still here 10 years creating value instead of being 
the new one that madness we talk about in the newsletter that you receive every day saying ah we've raised 16 million euros yeah in one year nobody will even remember you do you remember when van for example when van was the first unicorn don't know where van in the u.s it was uh, actually taking groceries to people in 1999 there were value more than one billion dollars I take that example for the training of product managers. It's a, you don't remember with them. That's normal. They just disappear like that. And that's what we are reproducing. The problem is that we're producing exactly the same thing with the companies that have, are based on algorithms. So it won't change. I don't know, don't know how to change that. I don't know how to prove to people that investing a little bit of time, discovering the consequence and not only the opportunity is good for you. It's good for your business because it's good for your brand. And your brand is what will stay at the end. That's your goodwill. That's the only thing that you can build and rely on a year after year. It's not your product because your product can be disrupted just like that. You don't really have barriers because usually we don't have any patents that protect what you do. And especially when you're raising money, you're raising money because you don't have Usually you don't have any barriers, so you have to be the quickest to climb the mountain. And that's it. So I don't know how to make people understand that that's good for their business. Sometimes I'm, I'm say, I'm really, there's a lot of humility. I don't know how. I just can talk about it. I'd just like to at least make people understand that they are biased, that their users are biased, that of course you can try to leverage people's biases if it's that good for them but i guess that when you take a look at all the patterns that you have from facebook from google or even from nireal the oct model people are just taking it applying it because they hope that it will help them be better without trying to understand what is the underlying consequences is that right to do that or not as long as people don't understand that, as long as they are ignorant of that, I'd say involuntarily, I hope so, you can do something because you just can open their eyes saying, these are the biases that we have. We have a lot of biases. These are the things that that means that you must think about your user and not the user from Google because that's not the same person. That's not the same person. Try to find how that could be part of their lives. Try to find the motivations, what they really want to do, what is the profound need that they have, the, the instinct that they have. Try to fulfill that in the right way without making them addicted to you. And if they choose to stay with you, just like in a relationship, they want it because they like you, because they like what you are and not only what you're given. It's just like saying, don't get married with someone just because you have more orgasms with your, your, your wife or your husband is because of a hole. And if you just run orgasms and the number of orgasms that you can give to someone on a weekly basis, that at the end, someone will be better than you and you'll get old. And at the end, yeah, you just can't compare. You know, you'll be beaten. That's the only thing that you want to create. You'll lose. What are some examples of people who are building ethical products who are doing this, playing this longer game and doing it well? 
actually, I don't know if I can put on, but I don't know a lot of people that are really uh, taking that into consideration. Yeah, people that like Geoffrey Dorn, for example, which is a, a French designer who uh, was part of the uh, Take for This Own movie. And thinking about it, talking about it, trying to teach about that, but take the little snap, for example. What they've done in the new design was to say, we don't want to mix up things. You have in your feed, you have people, things from your friends and you have things from brands. And we'll just put your friends on one side and the brands on the other side so you can see the difference. Well, there were other flows from, I don't know, I'm not going to use snap to be really frank with you. But I was surprised because when you show reality, sometimes people just don't want to see it. You know, that's something with organic food for years and years and years. It was so expensive and saying, I don't see the point. If that's better, if that's more sustainable, but it is, is it more expensive, that classical food in a way? And people intellectually, they're okay to change their habits if that's better for the environment, as long as that's still better for them and then see direct consequence on themselves. If you say it's going to cost me twice the price, twice the effort, well, you see that every day at the office or in the street, people saying, I'd like to save the world, but I'm not even able to take my little can and put that in the right trash. So I guess that as long as it's not something which is acceptable at the right way, just like not smoking, for example, that's now is in, is considered the right way and smoking is a bad way. Ten years ago, that was clearly not at all that reality. As long as we don't have maybe enough candles in France so people can think about, okay, that's bad. I cannot do that anymore. I don't think that the mindset will change. That might be, I'm not if I'm negative or, or pessimistic in any way. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> But uh, when I see that people saying, oh no, I'm gonna kill my Facebook account. Why haven't you done so one year or two years ago? You knew that what they were doing. But now that's trendy not to be on Facebook anymore. So I hope so. Maybe in two, three or five years, it will be trendy to be ethical, digitally responsible. Maybe. Maybe people will make the link between what they do and the, actually the physical environment. Green IT has been talking about for 15 years. I remember when I was working at IBM, we had one guy who was only working on that. And in this little office, it was not that trendy, not I anymore. Not, not at all. But he had a little book of 200 pages only on that. And now you have Green Spectre in Nantes, for example, in France, like doing that. But I guess the battle is not lost at all. It has just has begun. And in five years, because of trains, because of this kind of talks, maybe, maybe people say, that's better to do that. That's more sustainable. And at the end, the blue ocean strategy, maybe that would be by being more ethical than the little guy on your left or on your right. I think Green IT is a good example. I think things are going, are started to change in Green IT because it's a kind of win-win contract. In fact, companies who checking, for example, power consumption of the data warehouse uh, could save money for that. So it's a win-win. They, they help to save energy and with that they save money and they save the planet. So I think people will start to change their mind when they start to, to win something. I don't know if you know uh, Godin, but Godin, the family star in uh, Greece, in the north of France, and he created the perfect factory when you had people that were actually living uh, nearby 
and they were using the hot water from the factory for the people that were living nearby was 150 years ago and now we're rediscovering it in a way this kind of i'd say wit you know that's why i guess that when people would understand what is the cost of not doing anything just like what we now do with the climate saying if we don't do anything that would be the cost of it in a way we are just paying an insurance we're not are trying, we are investing not to be dead tomorrow as a company and for climate not to be dead as a species. Or maybe we have to die to save the planet, but I'm not ready to accept that. Not yet. I guess that as long as they don't understand the cost of not doing it, people won't really change. Maybe the VC will change, maybe the high impact investing will be better. We have a broader range, you know, we're broader reach. And uh, because there are so many VCs that people have to find a way to differentiate maybe as i told you just like mm. blue ocean strategy maybe it will be a, a factor of differentiation in, a, in the future i hope so is this something we can brands can use businesses you know one by one can use storytelling to yeah. try to change this make it integral part of their brand i guess so but you know there is a misconception sometimes people don't understand that branded products are really close to each other brands don't just like a product they don't belong to you just like in a relationship, your relationship doesn't belong to your wife or your husband or you. It's just a discussion. It's not a monologue. I guess that it's the same thing with product. We're talking about engagement. We're talking about creating relationship, getting to know each other, being better because I know you're better as a product. So the Alfred effect, for example, it's the same thing. The more you invest, the more product knows you, the more the product and the, the better the product is. At Deezer or Spotify, that's exactly that. On Netflix, that's exactly that. That's what the algorithm make possible, in a way. The brands could talk about that as long as you don't have the same kind of brand managers that we'd had for decades. People that are just doing bullshit in reports every year. In France, we have the luck to have companies just like Utopi, for example, that are defending the right way to talk about your impact on the environment, really real methodology. But a lot, a lot of brands are just tools, just like you have greenwashing. Maybe mm. tomorrow you have digital greenwashing. That will happen because, as I told you, that our biases. People, they just want to do business. So covering the, uh, the impact of what they do is what they could do on a daily basis. I hope that the startups will understand that it's linked. Think about your brand and the products as the same way. If you want your product to go long, you need a brand behind. And brands must be linked to your product. Can't have a brand manager who doesn't understand your product, who doesn't use your personas, who don't understand the consequence, the value that you're given. You just can't invent your values. Just like you can invent, okay, when I go in that party on Saturday night, I want people to think that of me. That, that's not realistic. Mm. That's what brand has been, have been doing for decades. I hope that will change because the more transparent you are as a product manager, the more transparent you are as a brand manager, the more goodwill you could have at the end. So it's really linked to me. And just to come back to the, the idea of not having this code of ethics, Bruno, you mentioned, what kind of body should be or could be responsible for creating something like that? Is it company by company? Is it country by country? I think it could be around the profession, for example, it could be when you become a software engineer, 
you could have to sign something to be sure that you respect a code of ethics, or it could be something like this, but it's difficult to have something worldwide. I guess that we start with training, with education. There are certain schools that are trying to make their students understand the impact of it. That's actually a cool thing. I guess that trainers like us are responsible of that too, saying that's part of your responsibility as a software engineer, as a product manager, to do the right product, just not the product that we create business, but that creates sustainable growth. That's part of what we should do. I don't believe in something that is not actionable. That's a problem with the code of ethics, that you must have a code of ethics, but that's not actionable at all. So maybe by, I don't know, being talking conferences, trying to write books on the topic, saying this is a way to make it on a daily basis. You have a lot of ways to prioritize your roadmaps, for example, to think about how you design engagements. If you could find a clever way to make people understand that that's the right way to do it and people use it, maybe that will make the difference. But just creating a code of ethics won't be enough. That's really the problem. We should start both things now. I'm trying to do it, but I'm just Fabrice de Messier, Okay, I'm not Mark Zuckerberg or anyone. So if uh, people are listening to that they want to do the same thing, just call me. <laughs> <laughs> We also, you talk about doing the right thing and creating the right product. How often do you get into situations where it might be right for some stakeholders and it might be harmful to others? This is the case with, you know, the climate and ethical clothing production and all kinds of things like this. But I guess the problem is that it really depends on the company you're in. You're a lot of big companies. And I guess that Bruno has met a lot of people like that who are, you have stakeholders who want something and they just don't care about the user at all. So we're not even talking about digital environment, which is talking about for whom am I doing that? And a lot of people say they just don't know it, they just don't care. They just want that, they think they're right, and that's it. They don't want you to say, I don't know. The responsibility that we have as product managers is not to know, but it's to doubt. With method, of course, but we are not here to know. We are creating new things on a daily basis. I don't know if a lot of people understand that software engineers are creating new things every day. You just can't predict the future, and we are creating the future every day, altogether. So all the stakeholders that talk about predictability or about roadmaps on three years, I'm saying that, actually. Three years? What? You just cannot do it. It's planning fallacy, you know? It's a common bias, and people just go on reproducing this kind of thing. So... It's a, the level of debate sometimes just talking about ethics to people that just don't see they use it and they don't care about it. It's not even interesting. Talking about the new generations, people that are under 30 or 35, for example, starting by that. Not saying that people are 50 or 55, I cannot understand that, but I'm 36 actually. So no. But I'm also kidding myself. Starting by that, starting to say there are other models. Uh, this is not... Con- the opposite of the model that you learned, you can raise money and try to have a positive impact. And I create a real positive impact, not bullshit positive impact. I guess that new generation can do it because they are conscious of it. They are conscious that they have the role in it. But you must fight the ignorance that they have. They don't have a psychology courses in business schools or engineering schools. They just don't know that. They know there are biases, but the worst bias is the blind spot effect. 
you're not conscious of your own biases. By making them conscious of it, well, if they voluntarily go on ignoring it, well, you cannot do anything against that. You just can't say that's a, a crime. But it's a choice. And now I guess a lot of people, it's just not a choice. They just don't know it exists. So if they make them conscious of it, I hope that they say, okay, there are other models that I could follow and actually be successful with that. Another issue is that sometimes you deliver the right product on something not dangerous and very useful, but sometimes the technology you use for that can be used for something bad. An example for that is I watch the news during lunch today and Google uh, released a new technology to be able to, during a conversation, you can isolate the voice of someone. So it could be technology really useful for phone news, for example, if you are phoning with a lot of people around you. It could be useful for people uh, who have some air equipment. So there are a lot of good things for that, but I'm sure uh, this technology could be used to spy people or things like this. I saw someone who, there are some technologies today to be able to change the face of someone in, the, in a video, for example. I read uh, a few weeks ago that some people develop apps uh, in order to put faces of a friend of a, of a star in a porn video. So I think people who do the technology at the beginning have not bad thing in mind, but you have to think of the consequences of giving the technology to other people. That's one of the hard things about technology, but even non-biases. If people are more conscious of what exists, you know there is a small part of people who will use it the bad way. I had the experience with my, my third company when I had an offer from a big French telecom company, which is not the one that you're working for. And we were developing a new technology that's really complicated to find markets when you develop a new technology. And they wanted to use it for mobile games. Not at all to create good things, but to say, yeah, if you do that, people will get addicted to it. Yeah, but we don't do that for them. It's not our vision. It's not our motivation doing that. They just didn't understand. Because say, we can pay you. Now we can give you a check of 700,000 euros just now. Just so that you could create that and then you can do whatever you want with the technology for other people. We don't want that. People don't understand that now. Because they think that money is the what startups want. Yeah, maybe there are part of them who just want to sell to Facebook or Google their, their objective. That's okay. But that's not a good objective if what you want is to be sustainable. They don't want to be sustainable. They want to be the, the new things, the new hype, and then sell it and say, I'm not responsible if Google is using that the, by the way. That's maybe one of the problems. And when you have people in front of you, they think, but that's business. Yeah, I know. But business can be killed. Actually, my nightmares cannot be. I guess that a lot, a lot, a lot of people, if you tell them that you want to make another choice, they are not educated to understand it. Skynet was a perfect example. It says, I like to change things in the world and it's been used against humans. That's a catechol. In a way. But I guess that a lot of people are so happy to create new things that do you have the choice? Could you say, I don't want to release that new technology because it could be harmful? 
I guess that's a debate that has been going on for since the beginning of science, in a way. I don't know, you know, it's just like when you, you just, just to find the, first, the name of your first baby, saying, well, could that be used against him? Yes, people will find a way. They will find a way to take this, what you've created and, and trying to make it used against your users. That will happen. The, guess, the, the thing is, could Facebook or Google just kill a technology or block it? With someone somewhere, we have the courage to do that. Every tool is the weapon. To wrap this up, we've talked about the responsibility that's on developers, that's on your side, as it were. What about for the end users? What responsibility do we have? So people listening to this may not all be software engineers. Well, maybe to think about the consequence of your own actions. That's complicated. It's just like you just can't say I don't want to work for Total because Total is selling gas and using a car that is not electric. It's a bit hypocrite in a way. That might be one of the problems. A lot of people don't take a look at all on the products, on the company, that green product they use every day. Just like if you don't have anything on your packaging, for example, for leather washing, bio, things like that, people just don't want to spend the time understanding their own, the consequence of their own actions. Lots of people just change habits because people's other friends are saying, I'm using that, so I'm using Farmville, for example, the kind of games. And when you take a look at how people are creating the game and the addiction that is created by that, People are not too conscious of that. So I don't know if maybe tomorrow, because not that people are dumb, but we are all lazy, maybe you, you should find a way to have a bit of a rating, in a way, on saying this is the consequence, even on the environment, of using Facebook for one minute on the environment. Just starting by that, but people have, what people have accepted is it, yeah, apart from Trump, that we have an impact on the climate. So even starting with green IT could be a good thing because people are ignorant because they don't want to invest time in that. I say we have so much attention that is taken by so much interruptions every day. We need to help them understand the consequence of our actions. That's part of the pedagogy that is part of our jobs. And we know that they are not software engineers or product managers or growth hackers or anything like that. We need to help them understand. The problem is that the consequence of food, for example, on people now that they have to be a note of that's a good or bad thing, which is not only glucids and proteins and things like that. To be frank with you, I guess 95% of people don't know what is good or bad for them. So now that we have mobile apps, that we have all this knowledge available, we need to make it available on products so people just cannot ignore it. If they choose to ignore it, that their choice, that's their responsibility. But that's our responsibility to make it actionable for them. I agree. Everything is about education, I think. If we tell the example of the Facebook affair, I think less than 10% of people deciding to quit Facebook and less than 50% want to change the way they use Facebook. So I think a lot of people don't realize what are the consequences of how they use the product. So I think it's our job as trainers or to explain people why they have to be careful about their data or the way they, they use. I'm not sure that, for example, people know that uh, Facebook can so if you are looking a video or not on Facebook just by the 
time you stay in front of the video, you don't have to click. You just have to stop scrolling and they say that you are looking at this video. It's a small example, but I'm sure that we have to educate people on to see that there are a lot of consequences behind their art. Yeah, and, and people must be aware that having worked at Deezer, a lot of our users are not paying anything. And I guess that people are so used to have something which they don't pay for at all that of course there is a way, there is a compromise to find. And people just can't say, I don't want ads. It's like, yeah, but in a way I cannot lose money just because you want to listen to music. It's just not doable. We know that if we kill the, the ads, we'll have to make you pay for it. That's part of the business. That's it. If people accept it, and if the people that integrate ads within products make it with the right user experience, it can be acceptable. I don't have any problems with having ads, just like it's a way of paying for what I use. That's okay for me. People say, I don't want ads, say, don't use the product. Don't use Adblock. Just don't use it. Don't go to lemonde.fi and fuck you, I don't want to have ads. Okay, you're just teaming something in a way. You don't respect my work as a software engineer, as a product manager, as a company. That's a bit of a compromise. If people understand that, personally, I don't care if Facebook knows that I'm using Galaxy S8. I just don't care. If they send me targeted ads, I have the choice to click or not to click on it. So I don't care. And I don't rely on Facebook to make my own political opinion on things. So in a way, that's a piece of your own responsibility. Maybe the responsibility on education, on the parents, okay, but saying, okay, Facebook is bad. Now you're using it. You're clicking on it. You're listening to uh, what people are sharing. You don't say, people force me to look at that. So it's a, it's a way we can be responsible on our parts. Yes, there are bad guys, but the first thing is, know what you do, be responsible for what you do, and at the end, refuse to use a product such you have a disagreement with. And that's it. That's good advice. Thank you both for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. That wraps up another episode of the Radical Departures podcast. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Twitter and join us next time on Radical Departures. Radical Departures.